0: What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Home Homefield Podcast. But we got another collaboration with the One Hundred Four Six and One Podcast. Kevin,
1: what's going on, man? Chilling, homeboy. Chilling, chilling. Got a lot to talk about today. A lot to cover, you guys. So uh, sit back and enjoy the ride while we got uh, while we got the perfect collaboration coming along for you. What we got, big guy? Yes, sir. So. Obviously,
0: as you know, this is the beginning of the Super Bowl week, so we got a week until Super Bowl is being played. We're not going to go over predictions yet; that'll come later in the week. But first things first, we're going to go over the we're going to go over both teams. We're going to break both teams down, see which teams may have an advantage over the other team in certain positions, maybe certain personnel uh, groupings, and then we'll just kind of go from there. We'll talk a little bit about the Matt Stafford trade, and then we'll talk a little bit of NBA after. So. First things first, we'll go over the Chiefs versus the Bucks matchup in the Super Bowl. So let me ask you this, Kev, just to kind of get things started here. Both teams have been playing outstanding football for really the last two weeks or so. Just The Chiefs were able to beat the Browns despite losing Patrick Mahomes in the third quarter to a concussion. And then they probably had arguably their best performance of the year against Buffalo at home in the AFC Championship game. And then to talk about Tampa for a second, Tampa has gone on the road for the last three games. They beat Washington in the wild card round. They beat New Orleans in the divisional round. And then they just came off a big win on the road against the number one seed in the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game. So let's talk a little bit about the, just the path forward for these teams. Like what have you seen specifically? We'll start with the Bucs. What have you seen with the Bucs that's really stood out to you for them to get to this point? To the Super
1: Bowl? I mean, for, for for me, it's been dominance. I mean, dominance from the defensive side of the ball to the offensive side of the ball. I mean, I know the last game wasn't Brady's best with the second half that he put out there, but from from start to finish, I mean, I feel like the, the Bucs defense has kind of changed the narrative around of them being their weakest link, aside from their rush defense being top in the league. I mean, their pass defense was subpar at best. So, uh, their defense stepping it up gives Tom more opportunities to score, gives that offense more time to rev up and you know get more touches, get more get more uh, get more reps, and I think that that is shown. Uh, the only thing that I do have to counter with that is I know a lot of Bucks fans are gonna come at me sideways for this, but if you really look at it, they beat a a backup who's never touched the field in Heineke, they beat a very crippled and battered and bruised Drew Brees, and then. They dodged the bullet because Matt LaFleur went out there and, and absolutely was outcoached by Bruce Arians with that uh, fourth down call. So if you really look at it, the Bucs have definitely gone out there and did what they had to do. But I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, they don't deserve to be where they are. But I mean, the resume kind of speaks for itself. the matchups speak for themselves. But the Bucs, like I said, they, they dominated teams they needed to beat. So just because Heineken never played doesn't mean that it needed to be that close, but they won that just because they beat Drew Brees and he was hurt doesn't mean that they shouldn't have beat him. You know what I mean? Like they, they went and did what they needed to do to be the, the road team throughout the entire integrity of the postseason is tough, but they need to continue that defensive dominance in order to not only win the game, but to rattle Patrick Mahomes because everybody knows the Chiefs live and die with that man, 1-5. And to have a chance, that pass rush is going to have to continue to play well. And that secondary is going to really have to show out. Yeah, I think specifically with the Bucs, a few things that really stood out to me. We'll talk a little
0: bit about the offense first. The offense has been pretty consistent the last three weeks against Washington, New Orleans, and then Green Bay. So they went on the road, scored 31 against a pretty decent defense in Washington. Washington had a pretty solid pass rush, and they were still able to put 31 points on the board, and they didn't turn the ball over, which is huge. I'm always in the mindset that if you turn the ball over on the road, you definitely put yourself in a hole and it could easily get out of control very quickly. If you're not able to to steer the ship in the right way. And then the same kind of the same thing with the saints game, they put 30 points on the board in new Orleans and they didn't turn the ball. over. And that that's something that the saints have always been their rival, the team that they can never get over the hump against. And yet when the moment mattered the most, They were able to step up and be extremely effective when they needed to be. And then last week against Green Bay. Now, I thought the offense played spectacular in the first half. I thought Brady looked good. Leonard Fournette was an absolute beast in that first half, especially on that touchdown run where he broke like three or four tackles to dive into the end zone. And even though that they had a subpar second half, largely due to Brady throwing those three interceptions, I thought they, they stepped up when they needed to be, especially when, The game was close with about two and a half minutes left. They were able to execute, get some first downs, and then just ice the game away at the end. So offensively, I don't see a lot of issues with this team. Last week was the first time that they turned the ball over throughout the entire playoffs, and they turned it over three times. So I don't think that they're going to turn the ball over that many times against Kansas City, but I I won't rule out maybe one – Brady interception, maybe a fumble, but I don't I don't think Tampa is going to be turning the ball over that much in the Super Bowl. They've been relatively clean as far as the turnovers go. Now, defensively, they have really stepped up because I'll take away the, the Washington game because I think they were largely preparing for Alex Smith in that game and it ended up being t- Taylor Heineke. Maybe to Washington's benefit to a certain extent because even though that obviously Taylor Heineke is not a all pro quarterback. It is kind of tough to play against a guy that you never really schemed against when you're kind of going up and probably doing practice uh, sessions for Alex Smith. So I'll give them a little bit of pass there, but they, they were able to play pretty well. They were played. They played well enough to beat Washington in that wild card round. And then the Saints team they played extremely well. They only gave up sec- seven points in the second half. They were able to get a, a bunch of interceptions of Drew Brees, especially in the third and fourth quarter when they needed it. And they gave the offense a shorter field to work with. So putting points on the board from Tampa's offense was a lot easier just because I thought their defense was able to give them solid field position that led to easy points. And then when they played Green Bay last week, similar situation. They were very opportunistic, that defense. They were able to get the interception at the end of their first half. That led to the Scotty Miller touchdown, where Kevin King got absolutely torched. And then in the first possession of the second half, they were able to get the fumble from Aaron Jones and they converted it into a touchdown on the next play. And last week, especially against Green Bay, their pass rush really got home. And you could even say the same thing when they were playing against New Orleans. That pass rush, JPP, Indominican Sue, those guys were a force to be reckoned with. And they were able to get Aaron Rodgers on the ground five times. They were able to hit and knock down Drew Brees a few times. And that pass rush, that pass rush, even though it doesn't get home, it can definitely affect the throws. And it can give the secondary an opportunity to get some interceptions. And it happened against Drew Brees particularly. So really, if, if the Buccaneers have any good shot of making this a competitive game against the Chiefs, they've got to get a pass rush against Patrick Mahomes, force him off of his spots somewhat contain him if you can contain him in the pocket and not allow him to scramble out of the pocket and make some plays with his speed or he does have a tendency to love to roll out of the pocket and get some solid pass plays some good chunk plays on the field so I really think that Tampa's gonna have to get a good pass rush against Kansas City if they're gonna be competitive against them next week
1: no couldn't agree more it's huge I mean uh, and Dominick Sue, JPP, those boys have been playing out of their minds this postseason in terms of, you know, stepping it up and doing a lot more than they normally have throughout the regular season. But another thing I'm going to touch on really quick is Tampa is going to have to run the football. Um, Kansas City's rush defense isn't the greatest, and they are going to need to keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes as best as they can. Mm-hmm. So if Tampa can make long drives, you know, eat up that clock, and then when Pat does get that ball, find ways to, you mm-hmm. know, rush the passer. Eric Fisher being out is absolutely critical For the Buccaneers, I'm pretty sure they're going to have a lot of tight end help on that side. So I would assume that Kansas City is already going to be limited in terms of there's not going to be a lot of plays designed to go left because they are starting a backup left tackle in the Super Bowl, which is not the best time. I know Andy Reid is a very well-coached and very well, excuse me, a very well-prepared coach. And I know that these two weeks have been phenomenal for him to prep said left tackle. And I just don't know if that's going to be enough to stop Tampa Bay's hot defense and to transition into the Kansas City portion, for Kansas City to have to win, man, Pat Mahomes is going to have to be him himself. They are going to have to find a way to beat that secondary. Obviously, that is still the Achilles heel of this Bucks defense. Obviously, the Bucks have played Pat, as Ryan had stated on your episode a few weeks ago or a couple of days ago. Um, I don't know if Tom's going to make the same mistakes that he did a few weeks back because that game did go down to the wire. Kansas City took a a huge lead early, but Tom did scratch scratch back and make that game a lot closer. And I think that the Bucs are a different team than they were back then because, I mean, look at them now. Super Bowl bound. They're the home team. The defense is finally playing up to par. The run game is playing consistent. And, I mean, Tom is playing absolute, like, Hall of Fame caliber football right now. So I think that they are definitely for sure a different team. But Kansas City, for sure, is going to have to find a way to. I don't know if it's going to be on those sweeps or those trick plays or those, you know, those uh, those double reverses to try to find a way to get those rushing yards to have the play action honest. But there's going to be a lot of man emotions. Andy Reid is going to have to find ways to trip that defense up in some kind of way. You can't have Pat Mahomes drop back and throw 40, 50 times. I mean, you're already down probably your best offensive lineman on the team. You cannot afford to have Pat Mahomes eating dirt all day. So I would say that the same thing goes for the Chiefs. They have to find a way to run against the best run defense. I don't know how well that's going to go. But I think that the Chiefs are going to have to either find a way to score quick and hope that their defense can do something on their end, or they're going to have to find a way to open up that run game because Tampa is no, Tampa, Tampa's defense is no, no scrub right now. And Tampa's offense is definitely something you need to respect. So I think that this is for sure going to be a Super Bowl for the ages. Yeah,
0: I couldn't agree more. Just to focus on Kansas City here for a second, I think I'll tell you this. Like I said, kind of in the intro, I thought Kansas City played arguably the best game that they played probably in a month, just because they'd already kind of claimed the first spot in the AFC a few weeks before the end of the season. I believe they got it in Week 16. So, and they and they kind of struggled a little bit with Cleveland. Now, obviously, I know that that Patrick Mahomes was out in the second half and they were blowing the doors off of Cleveland in the first half. So they probably would have romped Cleveland if Patrick had stayed in. But with all that said, though, that, that performance against Buffalo, I thought, was, was really key for them. They played well, not only in the first half, but they played well in the second half too, especially that defense. That defense was really able to get after Josh Allen and they got him out of the pocket, but they didn't allow him to get any open receivers down the field. A lot of the times they just tried to rush him out of bounds and I and really you got to give credit to Kansas City's secondary for stepping up and and keeping those Buffalo receivers largely in check Stephon Diggs did not have that big of a day and a lot of the stats that he was able to get were mostly in the second half and they were pretty much garbage time stats anyway so at that point it's just kind of pumping the stats up but with Kansas City I think the one thing that they could really focus on here against Tampa I think it's their secondary. Tampa's secondary does have a tendency to get beat, especially deep. That's where I think Tyreek Hill really comes into play here, because in that first matchup that they had, Tyreek Hill was an absolute monster in that first quarter. He had like twelve catches over two hundred yards receiving, had two or three touchdowns. The guy single-handedly beat the Bucks' defense, and he was able to just do it by using his speed to burn past any corner or any safety that was lined up either on him or in coverage. And he did it relatively easy. So I think that's something that, that the Chiefs can probably try to exploit again. I do think that that Tampa's going to try to shore up that element of their defense because they know they got beat that last time with it. But if they're able to get Tyreek Hill into some jet motions, utilize him in some, some special type, I wouldn't say trick plays, but get them into some different looks that maybe Tampa hasn't seen this year, that'll definitely get Tampa's defense on their heels and they're gonna have to react in a certain way. But they gotta be careful with Tyree because Tyree can really break one off extremely quickly. And once he gets going, if he finds a little bit of a crease, he is gone. I mean, he was a perfect example against Buffalo last week. He takes like a little five, 10 yard play and turns it into a 70-yard gain, almost gets a touchdown out of it. So Absolutely. and not only that. I, I do think that that matchup with Travis Kelsey against Tampa's linebackers is going to be another key focal point to focus on because Travis Kelsey has been an absolute monster in the playoffs. He's basically been Patrick Mahomes security blanket for the entire year this year, but specifically in the playoffs as well. I mean, he had over 10 catches and had over a hundred yards receiving last week. And he, I think was able to get two touchdowns against two touchdowns. Buffalo, yep. So I think that matchup with Devin White, Levante David going up against Travis Kelsey, that's gonna be a tough matchup for those Bucks uh, linebackers. Even though that the Bucks linebackers have been playing pretty well recently, especially Devin White. Devin White's been an absolute monster. So I think Kansas City, they're gonna to have to definitely they're gonna to have to scheme a little bit differently for this game. But if they're able to get Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill in some open spots, I think that's they can I think they can definitely exploit the Bucks secondary in certain situations, but it, you still got to stop Patrick Mahomes. Yep. If you're able, if you can't get, if you can't stop Patrick Mahomes, it doesn't matter what defense you throw at him because Mahomes is too good. Whether he's in the pocket on the rollout, you have to get pressure on him. And if you, if, if Tampa can get any pressure on him, I think, I think the chiefs are going to light it up. I think she's Chiefs can put up 30 plus in this game. So, and that's the thing. Pat, Patrick is the oil of that offense. And You saw it in that, in that Cleveland game. When Patrick Mahomes went out of the game, the whole offense basically sputtered. But yeah. he comes back against Buffalo the next week. They put up almost 40 on, on Buffalo. And Buffalo had a good defense. Yeah. So it's going to be a very interesting matchup. Um, it's And I'll tell you this. I, I didn't really mention much about brady but brady's gonna have to be his best too he, if you, the thing is with brady is you have to limit those turnovers if you limit those turnovers against the chiefs you got a shot and that's really the best thing that i could say for both teams it's just don't turn the ball over you don't turn the ball over you're gonna be just fine you at least give your team a shot to win so but the way that i see this on paper i see this that have the potential of both teams scoring 30 plus in this game i think it has the potential for that
1: couldn't agree more i mean I think it ends up going down to the wire of who turns the ball over first. And I also believe that uh, Kansas City is kind of a, a double-edged sword. So if you play the deep ball and you try to limit Tyreek Hill inside the numbers, then you're going to have to worry about Travis Kelsey on the check down. You're going to have to worry about Travis Kelsey over the middle of the field. You're going to have to worry about the screenplays of Nicole Hardman and Tyreek Hill. If you play the short game and try to stop Travis Kelsey on the security blanket, Tyreek's going to blow over the top on a, on, a, on a seam or through the seam. On a fly or throw a deep post. So I mean, they really have such a dynamic offense. If you if you look at it on paper, like Ryan had listed, yeah, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, Cameron Brate, Scotty Miller. I mean, I would say on paper, the Bucks have an advantage because the studs of the Kansas City offense are Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Sammy Watkins has his hot games. Sammy Watkins has his cold games. Nicole Hardman has his good days. Has his bad days but again, paper-wise, Kansas City, for, oh, Tampa Bay for sure has the advantage, but it's a matter of scheme. Chris Godwin's been dropping a lot of passes. Scotty Miller isn't really a one-trick pony, but kind of is. He's kind of like a a, a deep man or not. Mike Evans has had some uh, some double coverage issues. He hasn't really been able to beat them, and then Rob Gronkowski's really been a a blocking tight end for the majority of the season. Yes, he has his, his moments where he he, he chip blocks and then rolls out and he's kind of like that last ditch effort and, or he'll just run up the seam like he used to in, in New England. I'm pretty sure you remember all of those routes, but it, uh, it really does seem like it's going to be a matter of who's going to be able to outcoach the other. And I think that the coaching advantage does go to Andy Reid because of all of the experience that he has. Not that uh, Bruce doesn't have it. I just truly and honestly believe if we're going advantage to advantage, we're going to go coaching first, Andy Reid, advantage, quarterback, Patrick Mahomes just solely off of talent, advantage, receiving core, and supporting cast because the run game hasn't necessarily produced all season other than uh, Edwards Hilaire. I would say the advantage would go to Tampa, and then defensively, Tampa's got the hottest defense left out of the two and I mean, I know that they, Kansas City rushed Josh Allen. I know that Kansas City found ways to get turnovers uh, late in games, but I think that the the, the, the the awakened pass rush of Tampa Bay has really set the tone for what is to come this Sunday. And mm-hmm. if, if I'm looking at it, again, I think it's going to be a really neck-and-neck game, not to give a prediction, but it's going to come down to who gets the ball first or who, who turns the ball over first and who makes the least mistakes.
0: Yeah, just, just two final points I'm gonna hit on real quick. If I if I had to really kind of point to two to two people, one on each team, that I think could be a difference maker offensively. I think on Tampa's offense, I think it could be A.B. AB could Absolutely. be a big difference A B could be a big difference maker here if he's healthy. Now he's dealing AB. with a he's dealing with a knee injury right now. So I would expect that he plays this game. I think there was Maybe a, a, a shot that he would play the Green Bay game, but I think they were rather safe and sorry than to put him out there. So I get it. I think A.B. could be a monster in this game if he's able to get some space. And and then to kind of focus on Kansas City here, I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire could be a possible X here simply because I think it's going to be difficult for him to get rushing lanes against Tampa's defense. Now, they could watch the Tampa Saints film from a couple of weeks ago and watch how Alvin Kamara was actually largely successful in the carries that he was getting against Tampa's defense. It's just that New Orleans went away from the run in the second half. They didn't stick with it. But Alvin Kamara had about 80 yards rushing in that game, and, they, mm-hmm. and he only got that on about 18 carries. If, I don't know if they're going to give Clyde Edwards' helaire 25 carries. I, I highly doubt it. But if they're able to establish some sort of a run game early, Tampa's going to have to at least cover that. And then they could get Clyde Edwards Hilaire into some solid little screen plays. They get him on a check down. They could utilize him in the passing game as well. So that's somebody that I could see as some, somebody who can make a difference on Kansas city's offense, rather than just Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and like Patrick Mahomes. I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire could be somebody that if they get him some good touches early, they could definitely use him in different, they could utilize him differently in the second half for sure against Tampa's defense. That's just kind of how I see it.
1: Yeah. I I think the the two X factors for me to be the last point, I apologize. The X factor for Tampa is going to have to be the combination of Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones Jr. And then Mm -hmm. for Kansas city, it's going to have to be the supporting wide receiver cast outside of Travis Kelsey and um, Tyree kill. If those two guys are getting covered, if those two guys are being schemed against me, Hardman, Pringle, They're going to enormously have to step up. I think Edwards Hilaire is going to have to be used outside of the backfield. Le'Veon Bell is going to have to suck it up and find a way to be the Le'Veon of Pittsburgh. They are going to need a load of help to combat this Tampa pass rush because Pat cannot afford to get dinged up in the Super Bowl, or it's going to be a very, very, very bad night for the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: I couldn't agree more. So, I mean, with that said, that'll pretty much just wrap up the – the, the breakdown of both the Chiefs and the Bucks. obviously we'll come up with our predictions later in the week. Um, Kevin and I have pretty much stated for the last week or so that we couldn't be more excited for this game on paper. It looks absolutely amazing. You got Brady who is undeniably the greatest of all time at the quarterback position, if not NFL history, going up against the hottest up and coming star at the quarterback position in a very long time and who could potentially one day rival Tom Brady's achievements and greatness that he's bestowed on the NFL for over two decades. So I think Kev, you're pretty much pretty much in the same boat as I'm in, just where this game is on
1: paper. That's full excitement, full football enthusiast. This is gonna be a Super Bowl for the history books. If you got kids, tell them to watch it. They're gonna regret it when they're older if they haven't. If you got old people, tell them to watch it. You don't know how long they're gonna be on the earth. Just this, this, one's, this one's Goat, Baby Goat, Pat Mahomes, Tom Brady, Tampa Bay, Florida. Tune in Sunday.
0: Yes, sir. Well, we also have some other news to tackle within the NFL. So, if you guys have not read the reports yet, we've got a trade between the Detroit Lions and the Los Angeles Rams. So, I'm just going to read the quick snippet from ESPN that I got right here. So, Detroit Lions quarterback Matt Stafford is heading to the Los Angeles Rams in exchange for quarterback... Jared Goff, and a multitude of draft picks. So the Lions will receive a third round pick in 2021, a first round pick in 2022, and a first round pick in 2023 And what is the first exchange of former number one overall picks in the common draft era. So that is the draft. That, that is the trade that we have here. It won't be official until about three days before March 20th. So, Kev, let me just ask you straight up. What do you think of this trade overall? Do you think It benefits L.A. in the long run? Do you think it benefits Detroit in the long run? How do you see this?
1: I think that L.A. robbed them blind. I think that getting rid of Jared Goff, no disrespect. Outside of a Super Bowl year, I really have never been a fan. Um, I know that Sean McVay offense made him look a lot better. I know the second he got that contract, everybody kind of – well, not everybody, but most people kind of looked a little confused. Like, really, like Jared Goff, $136 million. I don't really think he's worth it. Matthew Stafford immediately puts the Los Angeles Rams in win-now mode and puts them in Super Bowl contention. The defense obviously showed out last year that they could they could play, but their, their losses were inconsistencies at the quarterback position. Uh, Jared Goff was already going to be, not demoted, but it, it, there were multiple reports showing that this upcoming offseason there was going to be a QB battle between Goff and Wofford, and – that immediately shows that the, the Rams, off the Rams organization had lost faith in golf. And I think that uh, Jared had his, plenty of opportunities. He had a multitude of, uh, of chances to really prove that he could be the guy of the future. And it, it just so happens that it, it is what it is. And they went and upgraded at the quarterback position. I think that the Rams, unfortunately, haven't had a first round pick since golf in 2016, and they won't have another one until 2024. But, I mean, that offense is talented. A lot of those players are under contract for the near future. Aaron Donald is still one of the best players in the world. uh, Jalen Ramsey as well. This this catapults them with this massive upgrade. If I had to put a hypothetical grade on it, I say that their quarterback play was maybe a C, a C plus, puts them at a B, B plus. I don't know if you agree, but Matt Stafford's play, Matt Stafford's grittiness, being able to play through multiple injuries, hopefully that offensive line will be able to keep him upright and Sean McVay's offense will definitely suit him a lot better than any other offense he's ever had. But I, I, I think the Rams immediately won, win that trade, hands down.
0: I think so as well. Just looking at the trade, just just kind of like from a big picture here, I think it finally gives Matthew Stafford his first real chance to actually succeed in the NFL really since Calvin Johnson left Detroit. So, I see like this. I see Matt Stafford having finally some decent options to throw to, like Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. And you got Cam Akers out of the backfield, and you also right. have Tyler Higby, and you got Higby. So I was just going to mention him. So he's actually got a, a pretty good, solid core of guys here that are that are reliable targets, and I and I really do think that that Matt Stafford Cooper Cup uh, duo, or or even Robert Woods to a certain extent, I think it's going to pay huge dividends for for the Rams in the long term. So, I think if you're the Rams here, I think it's a great move for them. Obviously, Jared Goff had not been playing up to the standards that they wish when they gave him that contract. And listen, with, with Jared Goff, Jared Goff to me is like a moments quarterback. There are some moments where he can step up and show you flashes of what he could be, flashes of his potential, and then he'll follow it up with just really inconsistent play or just outright bad games where he's throwing two or three really bad interceptions a game. So if you're the Rams here, I think you had to make this trade. I mean, look, you're competing against the Seattle Seahawks and the Arizona Cardinals in your own division and Jared Goff just, I don't think long-term was going to work out for them. So I think this trade really suits them well for the long-term. And here's another thing that I think people maybe not taking into account here, Matt Stafford is only 32 years old. Russell Wilson is the same age, but people think that Russell, that Matt Stafford has been in the league a lot longer than he has been. And people may think that he's a lot older than what he actually is. He's only 32. He turns 33 in February. He turns 33 in about six or seven days from now. And he has probably one of the best teams that he's had around him in probably five to six years. So I think the Rams are going to be just fine in this situation. As far as Jared Goff and Detroit goes, I think Jared Goff is going to have a, just a slow agonizing decline with Detroit. I just, I don't see his career really going anywhere in Detroit. It's just, it's unfortunate just because Jared Goff this year at the end, obviously he got hurt. I believe he hurt his thumb or his finger or something. Um,
1: Yeah. Something in his throwing hand.
0: Yeah. So, and, even though that he went out there, look, he tried his best to go up against Seattle after Wofford got hurt in the first quarter. Just, he, he wasn't able to, he just really wasn't able to make enough plays to make it count. Even though they ended up winning that game. When they played against green Bay, kind of a similar situation. Just, just wasn't consistent enough. Like I said, they got him enough. It was enough for him to get the win against Seattle, but largely, the Rams won because of the defense. Defense was able to get a good pass rush on Russell Wilson and get him off his spots and, and really neutralize that offense. But I just don't think Jared Goff in the long term is going to be the solution that Detroit is going to need. Detroit's going up against Green Bay in the NFC North, and we'll see what happens with Chicago. Maybe they make an upgrade now. Chicago didn't end up making the playoffs this year by some miracle. I don't know how but they weren't even that good this year, but. You know, if you're Detroit right now, I just don't really see this team going anywhere. You know, I I wish I could give Detroit fans a little bit more hope and some positivity here, but I just don't think Jared Goff is the guy that's really going to take Detroit to the promised land. It's just kind of how I see it.
1: Oh, I I, I couldn't honestly agree more. We typically always have a lot of similar views. Uh, Just, you know, final point on this one, just because we have so much other things to cover. Uh, If Jared Goff could find a way to stay healthy this year with the coming picks in the future. Who's to say if they have bad enough records that they can't bring some talent in, in the draft. I mean, they do have two first round picks coming in from LA. They have their own first round picks. I would assume that they're going to remain somewhere within the lottery because of that team being kind of lack of talent, so to speak, to put it gently that they are, um, I don't see Detroit, like you said, winning a lot of games. So, I mean, Kenny Galladay is a free agent. I don't know if they're going to re-sign him. I think that would be foolish because of all the injuries he's had plaguing his career. I think that they need to dump all of their money onto the defensive end of the ball and as well as the, um, the, the offensive line. If you're going to keep a quarterback that has this much salary cap hit, you got to keep him healthy. You don't want someone eating up $25, $30-plus dollars a year to sit on the sideline. So I say that this year's draft has to focus on protecting him. I think next year's draft focuses on getting Jeff Okuda some backup. And I think that they need to spend their free agency money wisely because at the end of the day, Jared Goff is young. Jared Goff is still a, a semi-decent quarterback and can be average at best when he has time to throw. So Detroit isn't necessarily over. I wouldn't say that they're through because they they, they did get a little younger. They did take a bigger hit, but they got younger and they got capital behind it. So if they can play their picks right, if they can play their free agency right, I think that they become at least a, a, a semi-average football team. Again, they really got to they, they gotta hit their stride. Um, or should I say they got to make their, their picks count. I know that the defensive coordinator for the Saints, if I'm correct, he's their new head coach. I believe so. So that man's got to come in here, and he's immediately got to either clean house and start letting people go, or he's really got to come in there and just just come in there and pick that defense up and absolutely get Jared Goff some protection. But I mean, other than this, this trade, we have some speculation. We have some big news on Deshaun Watson. Well, not really news, but uh, Deshaun Watson has obviously officially requested a trade from the Houston Texans as of last week. And I mean, officially the the trade request was put in weeks before by Deshaun's agent. But I mean, I have to ask you, With this Matt Stafford trade and the capital that he commanded the the, the Rams to give up, if 32, almost 33-year-old Matt Stafford good man's three first-round picks, what do you think a team's got to give up to get the 25- to 26-year-old all-pro quarterback that Deshaun Watson is?
0: I mean, just looking at what Matt Stafford collected as far as the draft capital, I mean, the Lions got a first-round pick in 2022, and a first round pick in 2023. So they got two first round picks and then a third round pick in this upcoming draft. You take that into account for Deshaun Watson if he ends up getting traded. I think Deshaun Watson is gonna get three first round picks. I could really I could legitimately see that. I don't think it's gonna be anything more. I don't think it's gonna be anything crazy like, oh my god, they're gonna get four or five uh first round draft picks back for Deshaun. I don't think it's gonna be that much. I, I could definitely see a scenario where they give up where somebody gives up three first round picks, but I think that's gonna be the cap there. I don't think people are gonna go past that unless they're really, really desperate to get him. The Jets. And, I mean maybe. I I mean they gotta they could maybe trade Sam Darnold to, to Houston. And I mean I don't think Houston's gonna be very thrilled to know that Sam Darnold is going to be the guy that's coming in after Deshaun Watson if that and if that trade ends up happening look, I have to look at it from this perspective with Deshaun. Houston has just absolutely botched this whole process. I mean, not just this process, but really the the beginning part of Deshaun Watson's career. They, they've really haven't been able to surround him with at least decent talent after the DeAndre Hopkins trade. They did have Brandon Cooks, but I mean, Brandon Cooks versus DeAndre Hopkins, I'm taking hop all day. So, I really think that this whole thing really started falling apart when Deshaun Watson lost his number one target in DeAndre Hopkins. I really think that got the ball rolling to it's Like, you know, I, I can only do so much here just because he's the most sacked quarterback, I believe in the league, or he's one of like the top two top three quarterbacks who get sacked in the league. No, He's He's putting his body on the line every single game. And even in games, that they're going up against decent teams, like like specifically, I guess, the Colts. Houston was competitive in some pretty good games against some divisional rivals this year. So Deshaun Watson single-handedly has – at least keeps his team competitive. But just from really a front office perspective, they just have not – they have really not done anything well to give Deshaun Watson the weapons that he needs to thrive in the league. Especially after the, the trade for DeAndre Hopkins, where basically they just gave them up like a bag of chips. So, I think moving forward, and you're kind of already seeing it right now. You're seeing kind of like this war of these war of words between Houston's front office, their coaching staff, and Deshaun Watson's camp, because Deshaun Watson's camp has already said that they demanded a trade weeks ago, and then you got, I believe, the new general manager for Houston, which I believe it's Nick Casario, who who was the former uh, player uh, development head in New England. He's already stated that we intend to keep the Sean Watson here. He's a Houston Texan and we intend on keeping him here. And I think as the the weeks go on, as some details begin to materialize, you're going to see this, this shift, either, either he ends up staying or he, the pendulum swings towards him getting traded. I'm of the mindset that he's going to get traded. I just believe that at this point, Houston is just not a viable option for Deshaun Watson anymore. If, if it was Deshaun Watson would kind of be leaning towards coming back to Houston, but I just don't really see that right now. And, and not only is Deshaun Watson, somebody to keep in mind here, J.J. Watt is kind of in a similar situation. His situation is not that clear right now. He, and, Really, Houston's front office is going to have to at least provide some clarity to the situation, not only to Deshaun Watson, but to J.J. Watt as well. You've got two potential big players on Houston potentially being moved here. I don't know if J.J. Watt's going to get traded. I don't know what's going to happen with him. There really hasn't been that much development with J.J. Watt. But it, look, these, these guys need some clarity on the situation moving forward here. I'm still of the mindset, though, that Deshaun Watson is getting traded. Even though the Houston's front office isn't saying it right now, I think that they're, they're going to be able to work out some sort of trade package for, from some other team to get Deshaun Watson to some maybe a better place. I mean, if he, if he ends up going to New York, I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's that good of a move because New York really doesn't have that many options to throw to. So Just kind of wait and see at this point, but I'm of the mindset that Deshaun's probably going to end up getting
1: traded. So here's my thing, right? Matt got two first-round picks. I'm going to be bold and say that Deshaun Watson brings enough to the table to demand four first-round picks. It's a matter of who is going to give it to him. Who's going to give Houston? I think Houston – well, actually, let me start over. I think all NFL GMs are professional bullshitters. Everybody is always going to say, no, we're keeping him. No, he's staying. There's no way that he's leaving this organization. Perfect example, Odell Beckham gets that perfect big deal. Absolute, like, yo, he's not getting moved. We're keeping Odell. Are you kidding? Boom, that's, gets kicked that's,
0: out. That's the opinion that they put out to the public. What they put on the public is one thing. In private is something completely different.
1: Absolutely. So the second someone someone's in that GM's ear and they say, hey, we'll give you four, take them. Hey, no fran no NFL franchise is turning down four first. Are you kidding me? Like the Houston Texans have absolutely gutted their future for the stupidest positions in the world. You traded away DeAndre Hopkins, you traded for Laramie Tunzel and gave up picks. You traded for Kenny Stills and gave up picks. You 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 gave up all of your capital. They're looking to get some of that back, and I think that they see an opportunity and to get it. They see an opportunity to get it back but they do know that their franchise is walking out of the door. So to, to, to lose your franchise player, the player you just paid all of this money to, you're going to have to get a haul in return. That's why I think the New York Jets are the best fit. Not only because they're probably more than willing to give up the picks because they know Deshaun is there for the long haul. Their defense isn't the worst defense in the league. And I know that their receiving core isn't the best, but they have, I think, a top five free uh cap space availability for the season they've got a
0: decent amount of cap
1: space they definitely do so there's a lot of speculation between new york would have to make some big moves in order to attract deshaun watson right so deshaun watson controls the entire thing this is all in his this this is all his control because he has a no trade clause so basically he only opens the door to candidates he wants to Houston can say whatever they want. If they hear the right offer and Deshaun opens the door, Deshaun's going to be on to another team as soon as humanly possible. So there's speculation that the Jets are targeting Allen Robinson. There's, there's speculation that they're targeting some other prime receivers that are coming up in free agency. I believe if they get one of those and Deshaun hears, hey, we're, we're already trying to get you some, some targets. We have the capital to, to, to spend on you. We have a brand new head coach that is defensively oriented in Robert Sala. I think that that's the right place to go. Deshaun Watson has the personality and the demeanor to carry himself well in New York City. I think the big stage, the big lights, the Jets being kind of a dumpster fire of a franchise for a very long time will kind of spark him on top of that to make strides into saying, hey, I'm going to turn this franchise around. They really invested in me. They trusted me. I'm going to do this. I think the Jets are going to get this done within the next couple of months, and they're going to find a way to have their star of the future and Deshaun Watson.
0: I mean, I'm just gonna throw a little bit of a, just a hypothetical, just a just a possibility, of something don't say that
1: it. I don't say it. Don't say it.
0: Something that I would love to see. Don't say it. I want to see Deshaun Watson in San Francisco. Oh, okay. I want to see it. I want to see it, bro. I'm telling you right now, if 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 they're somehow able to work out a trade with San Francisco, I'll tell you this: San Francisco's stock is gonna shoot to the moon like freaking GameStop's stock shot to the moon th- this past week just because the, the the possibilities that you can run in that offense with Deshaun Watson at the helm you got Brandon Ayak. um Emmanuel Sanders isn't there anymore but they still got they got George Kittle they've got all those running backs Jeff Wilson uh Tevin Coleman you also got Raheem Mostert just the the possibilities that you can run with that offense is just insane to me. And I would just like for me personally, I would just love to see Deshaun in that offense. I believe that he would personally thrive on that team. Now, obviously, the 49ers would have to with Jimmy G, but that's just
1: Take that's him. just how I that's Take just how him. I see it.
0: But but the thing is, like, have you heard anything, any development about them possibly getting rid of Jimmy in a trade to Houston though?
1: I haven't anything heard recently heard it. I haven't heard anything in, in regards to giving him up for Deshaun, but I have heard that Jimmy's being shopped. Okay. Now mind you, we're not professionals. We don't get direct sources. This is all off of multiple reporters on the NFL Access, you know, Adam, Adam Shefty, Mortensen, you know, all, all of those reports. But there has been chatter amongst the world that Jimmy's gonna get moved this offseason.
0: Because I haven't seen enough. I like I'll tell you this, like I saw more about the Matt Stafford trade possibility more prevalent more prevalent in this past week than I have anything about uh, Jimmy G possibly getting traded within like the last two or three weeks. So I think I think San Francisco to a certain extent is probably keeping Mum on the Jimmy situation for now. But I think I'm in the same boat as you I, I I see him getting traded as well. But I know for me personally, I'd love to see Deshaun in that
1: offense with the 49ers. And- let, no. let, let me get. Let me get a thirty. No. no let me get a thirty. Let me get thirty. Not even a full. Let me just get thirty. Okay. All right. All There's right. no shot. There's no shot. He goes to San Fran. You want to know why? Everybody forgets. They have to pay, um, Nick Bosa. They gotta pay Trent Williams to stay, and they have to pay this guy that they drafted out of Stanford. I always forget his name. His name Solomon something. Oh God. He was like the fourth overall pick out of Stanford, but nevertheless, it, it doesn't matter. They have, like, four primed players. Solomon. Solomon Thomas, thank you very much. They have to sign all of those players back because they're all free agents next season, and there's no way San Francisco is letting Nicky walk, and there's no way that they're letting um, Trent Williams walk. One Nine. of the best left tackles in football. Nine. Nine. So Deshaun coming over, there's no receiving core outside of Kittle and IOke. For that, you stay in Houston and you continue to throw to Darren Fells and Brandon Cooks. Iyoke is a playmaker. Iok is is, is 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 phenomenal. That's one season. The running back situation in San Francisco, you might as well have a 24 hour e, yeah, like um, um emergency services because all of those running backs running to the ER on the weekly. This man <laughs> Mostert, this man McKiss- uh, McKissick or not McKissick. Uh, so they got they got Tevin Coleman, Jared, Jared McKin- Te- Tevin Coleman too. Ever since he left Atlanta, injury prone. Um, Jared oh McKinnon. my God, Jer- Jared McKinnon, get out of here, man! Tore his freaking ACL in the preseason two years ago. And he's been busted up in his knee. Get 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 them the fuck out of here! All of their running backs, legitimately, they went down to their fourth string back this season, and even he got hurt.
0: But he was balling before he got hurt. I had him on my fantasy team.
1: I don't give a shit if you was balling up until the point of your, your knee ripping apart. The point is you got hurt. San Francisco's biggest issue last year was everybody, for whatever reason, they had the injury bug. Yep. Everybody it, on, that, on all four facets of that team was hurt. Deshaun Watson goes over there. They have no money to help him out. And you have injury-prone players. I don't think that that's going to fit. Jimmy G, cool, you get rid of some of that cap and it gets alleviated over to Houston, but you're inheriting a bigger hit because Deshaun's getting paid more than Jimmy. So that gives less inkling for them to go and sign other players to help him. I just don't think it's feasible. It would be perfect, ideally, I think, that he would thrive in Kyle Shanahan's system, but financially, I don't think San yeah. Francisco has the means to go and do it.
0: I know. It's, it's a pipe dream, but I just one can think, right?
1: I-, I thought you were going to say New England. I would have I would have hung up no, the, the Zoom not gonna,
0: call. No, not going to happen. Not going to happen. No, you kidding me? I, no, don't get me wrong. I'd love to see D- Deshaun Watson in New England, but he has nobody to throw to. Who's he going to throw to? He's going to throw to a... Listen, Julian Edelman has been a really reliable player for the last five to seven years, but he's been hurt, and he's getting older. So he's probably only a year or two away from retirement anyway. And then you're going to throw to... Jacoby Myers. Now, Jacoby Myers is a, is a decent player. I will, I'll give you that. He, he has, he has some upside. But Nikhil Harry has been an absolute bust ever since he's been drafted. And then after that, it's just kind of like a carousel of young guys. I mean, Gunnar Olszewski, he might be like the next up and coming like West Walker type re- receiver that New England has. But I, I gotta see like if I'm Deshaun Watson, I'm like that. Just that doesn't entice me. That just going to New England just does not entice me right now. Unless the, unless New England adds like some decent depth to their receiver or their their skill position, it's just not going to happen for New England. I think New England's pretty much out of the boat right now until they, they <laughs> fix what's going on in the offense, dude. I'm just, their defense, I mean, is okay. Their, de- their defense is solid, but the
1: offense is just not. Nah, nah. Did you see the report they came out today? Matt Stafford they, said, do don't, don't." This man said, you'll trade me anywhere in the world. I'll go to the Jags. Train me, you don't, me anywhere. But, don't but send but you me know, You know why, right? You know why. Matt Patricia's on that staff. Yep. Yep. I could not stop laughing. Matt Patricia must have done some dark shit over there in Detroit for him to literally say, even though he has no control anymore and has the greatest coach in NFL history behind him to say, I just don't want to go there. Just don't send me there. That one little dark corner in the Northeast, don't send me there. That's hilarious. (laughs) I don't think that had anything to do with Bill Belichick. That was solely Matt. No, no, no. It's it's solely Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia did not deserve to be a head coach. He absolutely ruined that franchise. And Dan Orlovsky and multiple former players have said the way he managed that team was an absolute abomination.
0: Yeah. And and look, he's one of those Belichick disciples. And I think once they get out of that system –
1: there's, There's few for, that their, their,
0: their weaknesses are really shown to the world. And look what happened. He was gone within did
1: he have two years in Detroit? It was two? Three. I think it was three or two and a half because he got fired right, yeah. mid-season. Okay. So
0: now I mean you could look to Brian Flores. I was just about Miami, to say it's the only one. Has, But my, but he's done fairly well. And I'll give you another example. Brian Dable. Brian Dable was on. New England's coaching staff for a while. He was the offensive coordinator for Buffalo, and now he's being considered or was being considered for um, for a head co- coaching position. I don't know if he's uh, – Houston.
1: I think it was the Houston position. Did
0: he end up – hold up. He didn't go to Houston. Home. Didn't he go to uh, – he was on Alabama for a little bit, but I think he's still with the – I think he's still with Buffalo as of right now, but I know he was on uh, Alabama's coaching staff. Uh, just a few years ago it wasn't that long ago but
1: he oh, but he's somebody the goat has the goat Bill O'Brien thank you very much Bill O'Brien he's over there in Alabama now yeah see so, yeah, how that I mean
0: if he's a coordinator fine i'll tell you this though when bill o'brien was the offensive coordinator for new england that was that that was the beginning of the Rob Gronkowski Aaron Hernandez era that was all that was all uh Bill O'Brien and that offense was was scoring a lot of points they were averaging close to 30 points a game when Bill O'Brien was the offensive coordinator, so that wasn't a bad. That wasn't necessarily a bad. He wasn't necessarily a bad offensive coordinator, but as a coach, yeah, he was.
1: He was subpar. And that's putting. Please him tell me. Please tell me you just got the notification. I I'll see it later. I, I from can't... ESPN. Did you send it on Twitter? No, it just dropped down. It transitions into us our next topic perfectly. The Wizards just beat the Nets.
0: <laughs> I don't know what's a better transition. Guys, we're we're going to wrap up the episode here. I got nothing <laughs> else to talk about. Like, that, pretty much wraps it. So, Kevin and I were basically discussing about, okay, what are we going to do with Bradley Beal? Because Bradley Beal is on the Wizards. He's been balling out pretty much the entire year. And this team is trash. Like, this team is going nowhere. And then
1: then they beat the Nets? Bradley Beal stole the inbounds pass and Russell hits a game-winning three with four seconds to go. How many points did Bradley score? I don't know. Hold on. Let's go take a look. I got to take a look. Hold on. You got to give me a second. uh, This is is great. Great. I mean, we were were talking about...
0: They scored 150 points? (laughs) (laughs) They scored... 50 in the fourth quarter. Are you kidding me? This is more of an indictment on Brooklyn.
1: Are you kidding me? This man, Russell, had 41 and Bradley had 37. Oh, my God,
0: dude. Jesus.
1: Oh, my God. I mean,
0: well, Katie, Katie had 37, had, Joe, Harris had, Joe 30. Harris had 30. And Jeff Green had 23. <laughs> I mean, Kyrie had 26. I mean,
1: where was where's where's James? James?
0: Oh, he didn't play. He didn't play. I mean, look, we're going to talk about Bradley Beal. Is he going to get traded? He looks like he's having a freaking, like, he's having, like, a talk to himself pretty much every game that they're, that they're losing when he drops 40 points and they lose by 20. But, I mean, look, like, I don't know if this really changes the situation for Bradley Beal in the long term, but I guess, like, for this game, good on Bradley. He gets, he gets a dub, finally, for once. They're four they're and twelve. Like two weeks. I mean, they're the worst team in the NBA, probably by a pretty substantial margin at this point. But I'll give them credit. You know, good job. So, but hundred fifty points. It scored. I mean, we talked. Listen, we talked about this the other day. The Nets had to score at least one hundred twenty plus or more to be competitive,
1: and they scored one hundred forty five, and they still lost. Holy shit, bro! They really lost to the Wizards, and they re- like I I this the fact that we're getting live emotion through an episode it couldn't be better because <laughs> the Nets not only have probably one of the scariest big threes in the league they go and lose to the Wizards without James Harden mind you but they give up hundred and fifty James ain't locking nobody up James might have made it worse. <laughs> Yo, that's insane! Thirty-seven and forty-one. Wow.
0: I mean, I'm surprised that that
1: Russell actually cooked. Forty-one oh, from Russell. Like, it's pretty. Russ solid. had a stat. Russ had a stat the other day. He had 163 points on 163 shots this season. That is absolutely <laughs> abysmal. <laughs> that is. <laughs> that is You're trash. like 37 percent of the field, dude. That is trash to all Russell Westbrook fans. I need to. Stop with this man trying to be a top 15 player in the league. You guys are tripping. If he got no cast, he's trash.
0: Absolutely trash. He's athletic, but man, you gotta be a, you gotta be a little bit more efficient
1: than that. Jesus. Oh my god. I just listen, listen. To get back on topic, Bradley Beal, like Kyle said, has been absolutely demolishing the league. And I mean like at a consistent basis. He's averaging over 30 points a game this season. He better not be a snub for the All-Star game. If there is a voting, even if there's no game, he better make the All-Star team because he has been absolutely sniping the league for the last three years, and he hasn't made the All-Star team once. So anyway. He deserves to be in the All-Star league. He's dropping like
0: 50 points. Like, damn, you're dropping 50 points a
1: game. 100%. Bradley Beal, I've always told Kyle for the last couple of years, once he signed that deal... I said he signed his death warrant I don't care if he were to drop like Kyle said I don't care if he legitimately were to drop 50 a game he knew what he was signing in Washington and he knew the deal that he was getting there you can get all the money in the world if you play on a losing franchise I don't want to hear you bitching when you lose because you know what you're doing so at the end of the day Yeah, he's making that bread. Yeah, he's got Russell Westbrook, and the two of them together can drop 80 or 90 together. Unless you drop it 50-plus each, you're not going to win in Washington. I'm sorry. I don't feel bad for him. In a game like this, I find it comical because Brooklyn is one of the most offensively talented teams in the league, like I had said. But Bradley going out of nowhere and stealing the inbounds and then Russell stealing the game solidifies my point. Yo, Bradley Beal either needs to get the hell out of fucking Washington or All right, he's right. going to rot. All right. First of all, I'm going to need you to clear the room. I'm
0: getting on my soapbox. I'm going off. So, I well, bet. So, what? Well, I will say, to get it out of the way, you're totally right about the Bradley Beal situation in signing that, that contract. I get it. Now, here's the thing. I think the way that he's played up, he's played to his contract. There's no doubt about it. He has, as far as I'm concerned, he's exceeded the expectations of what that contract stimulated for him. I mean, he's going out there scoring 35, 40 points a game, and when they're like, it's getting to the end of the game, he's literally having conversations to himself, trying to calm himself down just because he knows that the players around him are just not getting it done. This almost reminds me of what Kobe had after Shaq left. He's got. I mean, Bradley Beal has scrubs on this team outside of Russell Westbrook and his inconsistent play. You could look down this entire roster and, and pretty much legitimately say everybody on this team is essentially a scrub outside of Russell Westbrook, uh, Bradley Beal, and maybe Robin Lopez. Outside of that, that's all this team really. Don't forget
1: has. that white boy that can shoot. I don't, for care. Or
0: whatever. I don't, I don't
1: care. Don't <laughs> care.
0: Fresh. You want to know how much bird? Toss- Berton's had eleven points. Okay, he had eleven points in thirty minutes. Good on him. I mean, good job. But that's not like look. You got to be getting twenty or something. You're getting thirty minutes, and you're the main center on the team. You got to be well. I mean, Robin Lopez is, but you got to be getting buckets. Like, I need I need more out of all these guys. I,
1: whether it's what about David Hachirama? Burton's, what about Hachirama? He had nine points in twenty nine minutes. Oh, scrub. Jesus Christ, scrub. <laughs> I mean, like, don't produce nothing. I mean,
0: look, Bradley Beal. They need to get him out of of Washington. He is giving Washington everything that they had, or really everything that he has, and it's just not replicating replicating in the wins on the floor. So for me, for what it's worth, get this man a, a decent opportunity to compete and actually be on a contending team, just because to see his prime get wasted in a dumpster fire of a team like Washington is just absurd to me. That's just how I see it, and it's, it's it's gonna blow. It's gonna get to a point where he blows up on the sideline. It's he, he, either he blows up on the sideline or he blows up in the locker room. Something's gonna happen. I don't know when it's gonna happen or what's gonna be the catalyst to get it going. But he's gonna pop off on somebody if they keep now. Granted, this Brooklyn wins. This Brooklyn win for them is probably an anomaly. Probably not gonna happen uh, anytime moving forward. But. I'm telling you what, if they keep losing the way that they've been with him playing this way, he's going to pop off on somebody. And I get it. I understand it. And I think the reason why he signed that contract extension in the first place was because, look, that's the team that drafted him. And I've always been of this mindset. If a player gets drafted by the team that, if a player, uh, if the team, hold up, let me say this right. If the town that drafts him, usually that player wants to stay in that town and with Bradley Beal is the same thing. And I think maybe in this situation, maybe, maybe his heart was a little bit more at play here than maybe his head, just because I don't really think the prospects for Washington long-term were going to be anything positive, but he took that contract extension. He gave Washington's front office an opportunity to make something happen and the best that I got was Russell Westbrook. I, I mean, that's it. I, I mean, after that, if I'm Bradley Beale, just like you just kind of shrug your shoulders, and it's like I gotta get out of here because mm-hmm. it, it's not gonna happen for me.
1: No, not at all, not at all. But I, I there's not really much I can say. I mean, he is obviously one of the best players in the Eastern Conference, one of the best players in the NBA. I mean, especially this season, he's really showing out and trying his hardest. But I don't know if Washington's going to let another franchise player go. When they let go of John Wall, that that, that took a lot. And I know that, like, like I said, or like we said, when the trade happened, Houston won the trade. Um, it just goes to show, man, Washington just cannot do anything right. And if they let Bradley go to just have Russell solely by himself, I think it's going to be that much more comical for me. Now,
0: if we have to talk about another player who's been under some, I won't say speculation, but been getting some, some I wouldn't say negative press, but has, has definitely voiced his displeasure with the performance of the team so far is Luka Doncic. He has been very vocal about the team not playing up to the standards and the expectations that they had for this season. And I know you're a Dallas Maverick fan and you've been watching most of the games from the season so far, where's Dallas really going right now? Will it get better as the season goes on, or do you think that this inconsistency will linger at least for the extended
1: future here? So, this all started after Kleba, Maxi Kleba, got uh, diagnosed with COVID after the Denver Nuggets game. So, after that, there were four players that were close contacts with him and were out for two weeks. We had Josh Richardson, our acquisition from Philadelphia. Dorian Finney-Smith who was one of our best defenders, and we had uh, Jalen Brunson and a combination of some other players that were, you know, in and out of the lineup due to injury as well as the, the COVID situation. So our lineup has been absolutely depleted as of the last two weeks. We're just getting them back now. And I mean, legit, like Josh Richardson played for the first time, like I want to say two nights ago. I want to say this was Dorian's first game back other than two nights ago. And uh, some other players trickling back and forth, just getting back from injuries. So, I mean, we have players playing minutes that they definitely should not be. No excuse whatsoever. Um, The chemistry on the team just does not look good. I had one of my good friends, shout out to Big Fred. He texted me the other day during the Denver game that was on or the Utah game. I don't remember which one. We were getting absolutely annihilated by 25 in the first quarter. I'm pretty sure it was the Denver game. And our team just was not there. We are on a five-game losing streak. We've lost seven of our last nine. We just do not look like a team that wants to play basketball whatsoever, and it is absolutely frustrating as a Mavericks fan, and I mean a diehard Mavericks fan to legitimately watch this team just go out there and play with not only a lack of effort, but a lack of care. It it just seems like, again, just in my opinion, it seems like guys are just out there cashing their checks. Like, it's either we we, we pull up a stupid three, and we don't get back on defense, or Luca goes out there and makes a stunning play, and then no one gets back on defense. It's just defense is our issue. We've been allowing, I wanted to say, in the last couple of games, over 120 points per game in all of our losses. Yep. And I've been saying it all along, man. Since we got that trade, when we traded uh, Seth over to Philly, when we got Josh Richardson and we acquired James Johnson, and we went and re-signed Willie Colley stein I thought our defense would have changed astronomically because we signed three defensive players we, we, uh, that's not the case. I absolutely despise Tim Hardaway Jr. There's games he scores 30 and then there's a week straight where he doesn't do anything at all. And he plays no defense because all he does is pull from the three-point line. We have Luka Doncic out here who cannot shoot for the life of him this season, who continues to take step back threes and inappropriate shot selection throughout the integrity of the game. We have a rookie in Josh Green who continues to start at the three and the four because we are depleted at the lineup. And then Kristaps Porzingis, we have on certain minute restrictions, and we're keeping him safe because of the meniscus tear he had last season in the bubble. So, I mean, if you really think about it, our lineup has legit been an absolute roller coaster through the entireness of the season. And Luke has been frustrated. The people that are playing aren't hitting their shots. Uh, Luke has actually been playing pretty good defense. He's averaging over a steal a game, he's been blocking some shots. He's been playing some really good actual defense uh, across the board. But, I mean, as a whole, our team just, first off, we can't rebound second we are not shooting well from the field and third overall we are just playing ass defense yeah. so i'm hoping we change it i'm hoping rick has something to say uh, i know in the last press conference he just says you know we kind of got to weather the storm it's not what a maverick fan wants to hear right now i don't i don't need some fucking analogy i need us i need you to get the best out of our players right now but we're not playing good at all. And I know a lot of Knicks fans are ecstatic because the the worse we do, the better their pick gets because that's the pick from the Porzingis trade. But, excuse me, at the end of the day, um, we still win that trade because Dennis Smith just said he wanted to play in the G League. And that is the last player that you got from the Dallas Mavericks for the trade. So if all you're banking on is a pick, you're absolutely an embarrassment to basketball because you should be focused on your season and not how bad we're doing. But, I don't know, man. I, I keep seeing these games. I keep watching these highlights. I keep, you know, seeing the final score reports and the box reports, and I'm just frustrated every single night. It's an, it's an absolute just disappointment to a, a season I thought we were really going to turn it around.
0: Yeah, I mean, just looking at some of the, the box score stats that I've seen so far, just looking at the losses that they've had really over probably the last two or three weeks, really the, the two areas that really point out to me is the field goal percentage from Dallas. Obviously, they're not, they're not, Hitting their shots the way they need they need to be, and then the other fact is they're getting out rebounded, fifteen to twenty rebounds plus a game. It's like in the in this Denver matchup, like they were getting out rebounded, forty nine to thirty four, I, I believe in one game it was like fifty five to thirty five, just. They're getting out rebounded, and the other teams are getting offensive rebounds and cashing in on those offensive rebounds as
1: well. And the sad part is, we have three seven footers on the team in Porzingis, Bogdanovich, and Willie Collie or not and Bogdanovich, get... Boban Marnjanovic. Sorry. And if you can't get rebounds with three seven footers,
0: it's going to be tricky. And now here's the thing: I think I, I do have faith in Rick Carlisle that he will be able to steer this ship. And get it out of this run they've been in the last hundred percent. Really, the last like two or three weeks that they've been in, because the, they need to. Because Lucas has definitely been frustrated this year. He has definitely stated it in the in the post game interviews with reporters. He's basically called out the team, saying we need to get it together if we're gonna make any sort of shot for the playoffs. They're the thirteenth seed in in the Western Conference right now. So Funny I mean, I guess, bro, that's second. That's I mean that's third to last in the conference right now, and. I mean, just looking at the schedule that they have. I mean, they got the Suns tomorrow, which we when you guys see it, it, it'll it'll be Monday. So, um, and then after that, they play the Hawks. They play Golden State twice. They play Minnesota, and then they play the Hawks again. So, uh, it's going to be tricky. I, I'm not saying that um, completely panic with Dallas. I think give it probably another two to three weeks kind of see where things go but if if they keep trending this way for the next two or three weeks there's definitely some there's definitely some concern with Dallas moving forward so but like I said I I have faith in Rick Carlisle that he will be able to to get these wrongs righted and at least make them a viable contender in the Western Conference because I'll tell you that I had Luca winning the MVP and I had Rick Carlisle winning coach of the year and those predictions right now looks like you just throw them in the trash right now with the way they've been playing
1: yeah no i mean luca's putting up the numbers it's it's not not exactly like bradley but he's putting up numbers i know he's had like three triple doubles in the last six games or something like that if i remember correctly so it's it's really not solely on luca i mean yes there are select plays where he shouldn't do what he does but i mean he is trying to force a comeback or he's trying to force a shot because we are down and lacking offense. I was saying to one of my friends, I forget who I was talking to a couple of days ago where I feel that we need to make a move at the trade deadline. And I think we need to target Bradley Beal. Uh, I actually said it jokingly at first. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, you know what? Like I would give up a first and some other picks to go out there and get a man who's averaging 30 and who brings the defensive integrity into the lineup. I mean, the starting lineup, of Luka Doncic, Bradley Beal, Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi Kleba, or Willie cauley and Christoph Porzingis really screams firepower, and I, I I think that that would make a difference. I don't know if it would fix all of our issues, but at the same time, defense needs to continue to be the focal point because when you defense, you rebound, and when you rebound and defend, shots will eventually fall. So that's my that's my focus in that order: defend, rebound, and and you know scoring will fix itself.
0: This team just need. This team really needs just a kick. They need some sort of something to just get them. I won't say focus, but get something. They just need something to get them motivated. They need. They need to get some sort of win <laughs> that propels them. That really kind of instills some confidence moving forward. And I just. I haven't seen that movie. I just haven't seen it the last two or three weeks from them. And like I said, I think they just they need something, some sort of I don't want to say Kickstarter, but they just need something. They need a spark.
1: That's i oh, we're trying to find. One of they them. just need a spark. one of the two.
0: They need a spark from somewhere. You, I, and I don't know if Luca dropping off, uh, dropping forty-five is going to do it. They need somebody else to really step up, and and make a difference on this team. This team has a. This team should be better than where they're at right now. So preaching to the choir, buddy. Like I said, I, I they need a spark. I don't know where they're going to get it from, but. They can't just only rely on Luca to do the work. they okay. got to have other players step up and make an impact.
1: You hear that? You guys have to step up. Yeah. That's what I've come to. I've started to talk to the painting that Isabel made me because I don't really have much else. Because, you know, i got my Dirk jersey hanging right there and I see it every night. I just look at it. I'm just like, really? Like, Dirk is probably furious right now. It's just it's Seem, just annoying. Seen better days. Yeah, to say the least.
0: I mean, with that said, I mean wanna wrap this up or uh you got anything else to touch on or to talk about real quick?
1: Um, not necessarily. We got baseball season coming back. Pitches and catches are reporting, I believe, in two weeks, if not a little bit sooner. I know that February is tomorrow morning, less than two hours away. When you guys hear this, it'll be February first, but um, baseball is right around the corner moves are being made, teams are getting prepared uh, trucks are getting packed up for their teams to report to Florida and Arizona for their respective conferences but I couldn't be happier, couldn't be more excited Yankees baseball is just around the corner and I'm ready to have my heart broken again
0: I mean come on, you got a little bit of faith bro, come on
1: I have faith every good. single year that we're going to win Little is right over this shoulder, see all my teams are right here, it's always on this shoulder because I sleep on this side, but The way I see it, the Yankees or World Series are bust like any other team. But I mean, like the the pressure that sits above our head every year that we put upon ourselves that the city of New York has upon this team is is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we have the best pitcher in baseball, or if not one of the best pitchers in baseball. We have one of the best players, if not the best player in baseball, arguably an Aaron Judge. we need to do what we need to do to win. Masahiro Tanaka decided to go back to Japan. We picked up Kluber. We picked up uh, Tomlinson or whatever his name is from Pittsburgh. You know, we uh, we have Severino coming back in the summertime. So, I mean, our team is 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 just getting healthy, and we're just picking up the right players at the right time. It's just a matter of we need to have the right management behind Aaron Boone. We need to make the right plays out in the field. And we just, we just need to be better, man. We, we can't go on slumps. We can't go on droughts the way that we did last season. We, we have to have our pitching absolutely addressed, and we need to make sure that we are doing everything we can to keep games within our reach. And if we fall behind, our offense needs to do what it needs to do. We re-signed DJ LeMay. He, one of the best hitters, if not the best pure hitter in baseball. And our job right now is to win the East, and then, you know, focus on, you know, being the best team in the AL, if not the best team in, the, in, in in baseball, but the Cardinals are coming up right behind us. They just signed Arenado or trade for... How do you pronounce his name? No, one Arenado or Arenado. Uh, probably the best infielder in baseball right now, if not the best third baseman in baseball. He's just an absolute tank and a sucking vacuum cleaner up at third base. So... Baseball, like I said, man, baseball's gonna be a great time. Even the Mets are trying to turn it around. The Mets out here going to get Francisco Lindor and a bunch of other players. So I mean, it's it's gonna be a great season. I'm excited. They're projecting 162 full game season. So I mean, I'm hoping everybody can somewhat stay healthy and stay together. But the pinstripes is coming, man. Yankees are coming for everybody's ass, especially Boston. Y'all can kick rocks.
0: You're gonna look over to your right shoulder and look at that that New York Yankees insignia and say. It's been eleven years. It's time.
1: it's time. It's time. It's time. I need. I need a parade. COVID aside, I need a. I need a fucking parade. I feel. Like. Would you? Would you go up to New York? Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? They're not going to host a parade. They're closing everything down. They're not going to have anything.
0: I'm just saying. If the, I'm just saying, if they had a parade, if if they had a parade, if they won the World Series this year and they held a parade in New York City, would you go? It,
1: it might be considered. It. it, it yeah i'd probably
0: go <laughs> I'd probably. So, yeah that's what that's what i was looking for there's like yeah there's a parade in new york city just because the yankees won the world series and you're not going like no <sighs> yeah
1: you're right you're right you're right absolutely you're right i'd probably go other no, than that I don't, I don't really have anything going
0: okay really. so i mean with that said you guys that are pretty much wrap it up from here um i want to thank kevin for coming through for another collab. Obviously, I think you guys enjoy the back and forth that we do here. I know we do. And um, definitely expect it moving forward. Also, before we wrap this up, I do want to mention that it is my brother's birthday. Um, it'll come, This episode will come out tomorrow. That's when his birthday is. So I just want to say happy birthday to my brother. Alex he turns 23 tomorrow. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to him. And, yes, sir. Uh, Kevin, happy
1: birthday, big dog. How are you getting old, my boy?
0: Listen, I'm on the wrong side of 25, dude.
1: <laughs> you don't gotta remind me. I
0: now
1: turned twenty six I turned twenty six.
0: Like I turned twenty-six in March. I, I'm on the wrong side of twenty-five, so
1: it's gonna be okay, man. We're gonna be in the nursing home together with that damn cane. <laughs> Did the yeah. Yankees win yet? Yeah? yeah, thirty years later and still have not one. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. We'll figure it out. But
0: that's all I got on my end. You guys, Kev, you wanna wrap you wanna wrap anything up?
1: uh yeah man just want to you know big shout out to Kyle's brother Alex happy birthday hope you enjoy a happy and healthy one for you but other than that you know we uh we enjoy making this content for you guys we got some episodes planned out for the next couple of weeks um Super Bowl predictions and you know any other free agency news that comes out in the NFL or any NBA news that continues to trickle through the, the pipeline maybe any other Washington Wizards upsets for you but you know meet like Kyle said we get we get a lot of joy out of making these episodes I know that kyle and i share a lot of similar opinions but you know once we officially collaborate and combine our podcast officially this is going to be a consistent thing every week you guys are going to get great content a lot of fun and a lot of good moments so kyle appreciate you for always being down to do these episodes and and editing all the videos because without you we wouldn't have a lot so shout out to you my boy
0: same from here same from me bro same for me like i said you guys thank you guys for tuning in and don't forget to like and subscribe to the Homefield Podcast channel. This episode will be going on on there. And that's all I got, you guys. So thanks, thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you guys later. Peace.
1: Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices.
0: Electracast. Electric Electric Welcome to tuning into sound wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert,
1: and I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound.